You're listening to the podcast for Asbury United Methodist Church. Join us every Sunday at 9 a.m. for small groups, 10 a.m. for worship, or anytime at asburybosier.org. Good morning. Uh, it's good to be with you as we continue our series on the faith of Abraham, the, the almost faith of Abraham. It's such an interesting, sticky, trying, hopeful, difficult story. Uh, and we're not going to have scripture on the screens today uh, because I'm going to be reading a lot of it. Sorry, not sorry, you're in church. So here we go. We're going to be reading lots of scripture because there's lots of stories that, that need to be understood, that need to be said out loud in order to understand where we are in this story uh, today. Uh, and I'd like to begin uh, in thinking about uh, one of my favorite things, uh, which are dad jokes. We're on the heels of Father's Day. Uh, and I got this great shirt for Father's Day. It said, dad jokes are how I roll, E-Y-E, how I roll. It's perfect. It's fantastic. Uh, I've loved dad jokes since uh, I was born, effectively, right? So like when I was four or five, I wrote my first joke. Prepare to be amazed. Are you ready for this? Why did the elephant eat Pischetti? Why did the elephant eat Pischetti? With its nose. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, thank you. For the rest of you, you just heard a masterpiece. I don't know why you weren't laughing. Yeah, why did the elephant eat Pischetti? With its nose. It made perfect sense to me. I thought it was hilarious. Uh, Anna Lee, uh, one of my, yes, yeah, sorry. I'll, I'll give you a Lincoln when we get home. Uh, Anna Lee uh, had a joke that she used to tell over and over and over again when she was a kid. She got this, like, the, the gene is strong, is what I'm saying. You ready for this? Okay. Knock, knock. Banana. Banana in your face. Knock, knock. Coconut. Coconut in your face. And she would just like substitute different fruits. <laughs> she would just keep it going and always wound up in your face. And she thought it was hilarious. There's this kind of, I love dad jokes, especially jokes that kids develop and like write their own because they're always weird and they're ambiguous, but they're all hilarious, right? Laughter and humor has always been a part uh, of, of our family for sure. I remember when my dad um, uh, had a, that's not the funny part. He had a heart attack when I was in seventh grade. That's not the funny part. Um, but uh, after his surgery, he had bypass surgery. And uh, I remember they gave him a heart pillow that he had to hug, right? It literally like to keep his chest together after the surgery. And we all had one rule. The one rule was don't make dad laugh, which is impossible, right? To my dad, who introduced me to who's on first, right? Abbott and Costello. To my dad, who introduced me to Duck Soup by the Marx Brothers. You know, to my dad, who knows the airspeed and velocity of an unladen swallow, right? It's a Monty Python joke, it's fine. <sighs> okay. Um, it was impossible to not have my father laugh and, and for laughter to not be a part of our family. Interestingly enough, in this, in this section of our story, this section of Abraham's story, ambiguity and laughter is the glue that holds it together. 
However, we're not dealing with comedy here. Okay. We're going to read lots of the Bible here today. So I invite you to grab your Bible. There's pew Bibles. You can just use your ears, old school, however you need to do it. This is Genesis 17. When Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abram and said to him, I am God Almighty. Walk before me and and be blameless. And I will make my covenant between me and you and will make you exceedingly numerous. Then Abram fell on his face. Remember that. Underline it if you want to. Abraham fell on his face. And God said to him, As for me, this is my covenant with you. You shall be the ancestor of a multitude of nations. No longer shall your name be Abram, but your name shall be Abraham. For I've made you the ancestor of a multitude of nations. I will make you exceedingly fruitful, and I will make nations of you, and kings shall come of you. I will establish my covenant between me and you and your offspring after you throughout their generations for an everlasting covenant to be God to you and to your offspring after you. I will give to you and to your offspring after you the land where you are now an alien, all the land of Canaan for a perpetual holding. I will be their God. Deep breath. God said to Abraham, as for you, you shall keep my covenant, you and your offspring after you throughout their generations. This is my covenant, which you shall keep between me and you and your offspring after you. Every male among you shall be circumcised. You shall circumcise the flesh of your foreskin, and it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and you. Throughout your generations, every male among you shall be circumcised when he is eight days old including the slaves born in your house and the one bought with your money from any foreigner who is not of your offspring. Both the slave born in your house and the one bought with your money must be circumcised. So shall my covenant be in your flesh an everlasting covenant. Any uncircumcised male who is not circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin shall be cut off, pun intended, from his people. He has broken my covenant. God said to a deep breath, God said to Abraham, As for Sarai, your wife, you shall not call her Sarai, but Sarah shall be her name. I will bless her, and moreover, I will give you a son by her. I will bless her, and she shall give rise to nations. Kings of people shall come from her. Then Abraham fell on his face and laughed. Earlier, he fell on his face to hear what God was saying, because God kept taking a deep breath and had a a, a Faulkner-esque paragraph that he was giving to Abraham. Now Abraham falls on his face and laughs. Why does he laugh? Can a child be born to a man who is 100 years old? Can Sarah, who is 90 years old, bear a child? And Abraham said to God, Oh, that Ishmael might live in your sight. Holding intention that circumcision was fine, but Sarah having a child was impossible. That was the difficult part. God said, no, but your wife Sarah shall bear you a son, and you shall name him Isaac, which means laughter. Isaac means laughter. Yep. You shall have laughter. You shall have Isaac. I will establish my covenant with him, an everlasting covenant for his offspring after him. As for Ishmael, I have heard you. I will bless him and make him fruitful and exceedingly numerous. He shall be the father of 12 princes, and I will Make of him a great nation, but my covenant I will establish with Isaac, whom Sarah 
shall bear to you at this season next year. And when he had finished talking with him, God went up from Abraham. Then Abraham took his son Ishmael and all the slaves born of his house and bought with his money every male among the men of Abraham's house and he circumcised the flesh of their foreskin that very day as God had said to him. Abraham was 99 years old when he was circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin and his son Ishmael was 13 years old when he was circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin. That very day, Abraham and his son Ishmael were circumcised and all the men of the house, slaves born in the house, and those bought with money from a foreigner were circumcised with him. Thus ends chapter 17 of Genesis. Now, when God first called Abraham, Abraham was 75 years old. And he said, leave everything behind, right? We covered that last, well, not last week. Last week, we didn't have worship. Uh, We had bottles of water and ice to hand out and all those good things. Week before last, leave everything behind. Leave behind your nation that you've inherited because I will make you a great nation. Leave behind the blessing of your kin because I will make you a blessing. Leave behind your father's name because I will make your name great. You will be the blessing, not your politics, not your stuff, not your popularity. You will be the blessing. And the blessing will be a multitude of offspring. When God says that, Abraham is 75. And he goes, oh, and he makes an assumption. Oh, well, I'll leave everything behind, but Lot's going to come with me. If I'm going to have an heir, God says I should have an heir. I'm going to choose my nephew. He's the next of kin. Lot is going to come with me. And God says to leave everything behind. But Abraham brings Sarah and Lot and all of his possessions and all of his money and all of his slaves. Abraham is a flawed character indeed. And he brings them all with him. With Abraham, there always seems to be a catch. Yes, Lord, I will go. Kind of. Lot's going to come with me, though. And I'm not going to leave my purse behind. I'm going I'm to bring, bring that, too. It wasn't quite what God was asking him to do. Genesis 12. While they're traveling, there's a famine. And they go into Egypt. And Abram and Sarai, at this time, Abram and Sarai, he pulls his wife to the side. He goes, look, and you can read this. It's Genesis 12. I'm going to paraphrase, but it's there. He pulls Sarah aside. He goes, hey, we all know that you're a smoking hot wife. This is what he says. Now, biblically, he says that uh, we both know that you are very beautiful in your appearance or something like that. Look, I'm 75. You're 65. You still got it, babe. I'm just, but so, so when we go into Egypt... When we go into Egypt, they're going to find you attractive. So don't say you're my wife. If, if, you, if they say you're my wife, they're going to kill me and take you. So just say that you're my sister. And, 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 then, I'll, and then I'll give you, you can sleep with Pharaoh then, and it'll all be fine. And today, and today friends, we, we call that trafficking today, right? Abraham said, here, just pretend that you're my sister, and I will give you to, I will give you to Pharaoh. Right, And then Pharaoh comes to his senses, kind of, when you read the story. There's a plague that infects their household. And Pharaoh says, Abraham, what have you done? Why did you do this to me? And he kicks him out. He goes, you can go now. It's kind of like he calls Abraham into like the throne room and says, Abraham, uh, go call your wife Sarah. And Abraham says, um... Mm, about that, right? 
It's a sticky story, this Abraham story. So they go, and they're prosperous. Lot is prospering too. Abraham and Lot are both prospering, so much so that they divide. They have to separate because there's not enough pasture for all of their livestock. So they separate. Lot goes down to Sodom. We covered that last week, right? Uh, And Abraham goes on his way as well. But here's the thing. Lot is no longer with him. This idea that Lot was going to be the promise fulfilled of his progeny is now gone. So God appears to Abraham again. He goes, I'm going to make of you a great nation. You're going to have lots of kids. Nation, you'll be the father of many nations. And Abraham's like, I don't know if you know how this works. Is is Eliezer, my my, my slave, is he going to be the heir? Because Lot's gone. No, Abraham, I am going, you're going to have a kid, Abraham. It It is through you, your offspring. Genesis 16 the very first verse of that next chapter, it says, Now Sarai, Abram's wife, bore him no children. Time and time again, God keeps saying, you're going to have a kid. And over and over and over again, Abraham's, are you sure? Are you sure? Now Sarai, Abram's wife, bore him no children. She had an Egyptian slave girl whose name was Hagar. And Sarai Sarai said to Abram, you see that the Lord has prevented me from bearing children. Now go into my slave girl. It may be that I, so that I may obtain children by her. Now this is the moment when Abram should have said, okay, I've been keeping something from you. God has appeared to me on more than one occasion. And we are the ones who are going to have children, Right? I've I've spoken to him several times, and God keeps promising me this. Abraham doesn't do that. For the first time in in the recorded Bible, Abraham agrees with what Sarai asks him to do. Hey, I want you to have Hagar as your slave. Today we call this trafficking. Have Hagar as your slave. And Abraham says, anything for you. And he takes Hagar. And she conceives. And when she conceives, she looks upon Sarah with disdain. Because the rank has changed. Because she is now with child. This is not an easy story. It offends our sensibilities, and it should. It is a reminder that our history can be ugly and flawed and very, very human. When Ishmael was born, uh, Sarah becomes angry. And she goes, Abraham, you need, to, you need to do something. You need to do something about this. At this point, Abraham said, like, okay, so God's been talking to me about a promise, and, and maybe Ishmael is this promise, and we need to, let, let's take a deep breath, like maybe this is what God has in mind. No, no, Abraham says, she's your slave. Do whatever you want with her. Over and over again, over and over again, the women in Abraham's story pay the price for his lack of courage. Ah, She's your slave. Do whatever you want. So Hagar runs away. Not only does she run away, she she leaves Ishmael behind. She goes out on her own in the wilderness. 
What is the point of that? She's hopeless. She's not wanting to live tomorrow. That's what that is. She leaves her heir behind. She goes out into the wilderness. It doesn't say that she brings anything with her. She doesn't want to live tomorrow. And God shows up. He says, go back. Because I'm going to make Ishmael great. Through him, he will also be a a great nation. Scripture says he will be a wild ass of a man. Now, to our ears, that's abrasive. I mean, I think what that means is he will be free. He will not be a slave. He will be free. Go back. And there's not a mother on the planet who wouldn't go back so that their child would one day be free. She goes back. And Hagar is the first person in all of scripture to offer God a name. She goes, you are Elroy because you have seen me. This slave girl that no one is paying attention to except for God offers God a name. You have seen me and I will go back so that my son might be free. And she does. This story is, there's, there's beauty, there's complexity, it's sticky, there's hope, there's tragedy. And that brings us to our text today. God goes to Abraham and reminds him of the covenant, and Abraham falls on his face. God then adds some clarity, saying, Sarai or now Sarah, Sarah is part of this promise too. And this causes Abraham to laugh. Can a child be born to a man who's 100 years old? Can Sarah, who is 90 years old, bear a child? And Abraham said to God, oh, that Ishmael might live in your sight. That sounds like compassion. Oh, I already have a child, my oldest child, he's here. May Ishmael be be seen. May, may, May the promise be through Ishmael. It's not compassion. It's Abraham saying, if Ishmael, if it is through Ishmael that the promise is there, I don't have to tell Sarah anything. I can can say that it was all planned this way. It's fine. I don't have to say that God has come for me before. Here's our progeny. Here it is. Oh, Lord, may it be Ishmael, because that would be easy on me. May that promise be true. I don't have to pretend to face my own demons. The demons of me saying that she's my sister, the the, the sin of having Hagar, and and giving Hagar to Sarah and say, do whatever you want with her. If Ishmael is the promise, then I, I don't have to take any of that back. Knowing all of that, it's important to now hear what happens in Genesis 18. This is the center of this cycle of of Abraham's story. If you want to follow along, Genesis 18, here we go. The Lord appeared to Abraham by the oaks of Mamre as he sat at the entrance of the tent in the heat of the day. He looked up and saw three men standing there. When he saw them, he ran from the tent entrance to meet them and he bowed down on the ground and he said, my Lord, if I find favor with you, do not pass 
by your servant, let a little water be brought and wash your feet and rest yourselves under the tree. Let me bring a little bread so that you may refresh yourselves. And after that, you may pass on since you have come to your servant. So they said, okay, do as you have said. And Abraham hastened into the tent to Sarah and said, make quickly three measures of choice flour, knead it and make cakes. Then Abraham ran to the herd and took a calf, tender and good, and gave it to the servant who hastened to prepare it. Then he took curds and milk and the calf that he had prepared and set it before them. And he stood by them under the tree while they ate. They said to him, where is your wife, Sarah? And he said, there in the tent. Then one said, I will surely return to you in due season, and your wife Sarah shall have a son. And Sarah was listening at the tent entrance behind him. Now Abraham and Sarah were old, advanced in age. It had ceased to be with Sarah after the manner of women. So Sarah laughed to herself, laughed to herself, saying, After I've grown old and my husband is old, shall I have pleasure? The Lord said to Abraham, why did Sarah laugh and say, shall I indeed bear a child now that I'm old? Is anything too wonderful for the Lord? At the set time, I will return to you in due season and, sh and Sarah shall have a son. But Sarah denied saying, oh wait, uh, let me back up. And Sarah shall have a son. But Sarah denied saying, I did not laugh for she was afraid. And he said, oh yes, you did. Abraham, where's, where's your wife, Sarah? Uh, what do you mean? Why, why, why do you need her? Abraham's heard that question before, like in Pharaoh's court. Hey, Abraham, go get your wife, Sarah. Um, why? We've heard this question before. Those three visitors were not interested in where Sarah was, necessarily. Just like God knew exactly where Adam was after eating the fruit of the, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Adam, where are you? Just like God knew exactly where Abel was after Cain killed Abel. Cain, where is your brother? Abraham. Where is your wife, Sarah? Oh, Sarah? Well, she's in the tent making dinner for you. Why? Okay, well, in due time, I'm going to come back and Sarah's going to have a child. And then Sarah laughs. Who else laughed? Abraham laughed. Sarah laughs. Of course she laughs. It's preposterous. But the guest said, why did, why did Sarah laugh? And understand that that question was not to Sarah, it was to Abraham. Abraham, why, why did she laugh? Now, I've heard this sermon before. I've heard this sermon before where, as, where Sarah says, I, I didn't laugh. And it says, yes, you did. I've heard this, that, that somehow Sarah is showing a lack of faith of what is happening. Now, when Abraham laughed, it's fine, right? It's fine. It's Abraham, the father of our faith. Right? It's fine. But when Sarah laughs, it's a lack of faith. That is not what's going on in this story. Why, Abraham, 
Why did Sarah laugh? It sounds as if this is the first time she's hearing of this. Abraham, did you not tell her? When were you going to tell her? That she's a part of this covenant too. And there's this moment of honesty. Because Sarah, sometimes when relationships are tense, we can become avoidant. And we'd rather have peace than clarity. So Sarah says, I, I take it back. I, I recognize that this is a real tense situation. We're literally in a tent right now. I, I didn't laugh. I didn't do it. It's fine. It's fine. And it's not a, no, yes, you did laugh. No, it's a, you did. And that's okay. This is not on you. Abraham has not told you any of this. It's a moment of honesty. Finally, someone in the story is honest. And it is Sarah. Eventually. I didn't laugh. Like, no, yes, you did. And it's okay. This isn't on you. Abraham should have told you. Some time ago. Eventually, Isaac is born, and it is too much for Sarah to bear because Ishmael, they were playing, they were laughing together, and it was too much. So Sarah encourages Abraham to kick them both out, and he does, and they go out into the wilderness where God appears before Hagar again and saves them. Okay, preacher. Where's the good news? Where's the happy ending? Right? Well, you're going to have to wait for that. Because the story's not over. So on the one hand, on the one hand, the feeling that these stories give us is real. Abraham has been trying to force an ending to the story through Lot, through Eleazar, through Ishmael. He's trying to bring the story to a conclusion in his own way and in his own time, and everyone around him is paying the price of that. I will make of you many offspring. Okay, okay, great. Lot will come with me. Done. Moving on. Okay, that didn't work. How about Eleazar? That didn't work. Okay, how about Ishmael? There is a lingering ambiguity in the story, and we are lingering there for far too long for our own comfortability. As we mentioned last week, there is promise, there is doubt, there is affirmation, and there is loss. And that's the story of Abraham. But it's not the full story. Instead of what these stories are saying, I encourage you to check how these stories are making you feel. How does it make you feel for both tragedy and hope to occupy the same space at the same time? How does it feel for tragedy and difficulty and an embarrassing history to also occupy the same space as hope and faith and trust? 
How does it feel for polar emotions to be there all at the same time in the same place? You want to know the mystery of the Abraham story? That is it. And I'm priming the pump for next week when we talk about the sacrifice of Isaac. These polar moments ambiguously held in the same space. It's kind of like the feeling when you get a call and you hear that Melissa Velasquez is in need of a heart. Preacher, can you pray? That's a complex prayer. On the one hand, you pray for hope, you pray for healing, you pray for peace, you pray for restoration, and you realize that all the while, what makes that possible is someone else's tragedy. There's only one way for someone to get a heart. So we pray anyway. And we hold that tension of tragedy and hope in the same space at the same time. Which is why, friends, Psalm 42 exists. Do you need language for what this feels like? This is what it feels like. As the deer longs for flowing streams, so my soul longs for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and behold the face of God? Tears have been my food. Tears have been my food day and night. And people say to me continuously, where is your God? And don't think for a moment that that question hasn't been asked. When a doctor says, you need a heart within the next two days. These things I remember as I pour out my soul, how I went to the throng and led them in the procession to the house of God with glad shouts and songs of thanksgiving. And I remember family gatherings and I remember going to the pool and I remember holding Roman and and how fun it was. And my soul is cast down. Therefore, I remember you in the land of Jordan and Hermon and from Mount Miser. Deep calls to deep at the thunder of your, of your eyes and all the waves and your billows have gone over me. But, but, but the day of the Lord commands his steadfast love and at night his song is with me, a prayer to the God of my life. I say to that God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why must I walk about mournfully because the enemy oppresses me? As with a deadly wound in my body, my adversaries taunt me while they say to me continuously, where is your God? Why are you cast down? Why are you so disquieted within me? Hope in God. For I shall again praise him. My help and my God. Here's the hidden gem in that psalm. (laughs) I shall again praise God. It doesn't say that I currently am. It gives us room. It doesn't say I am praising God in the midst of my tragedy. It says I will again praise God. Maybe not today. But if God won't abandon me. I hope I'll get there.
Just like in Abraham's story, God keeps coming back over and over and over again with the promise that I promise you will hear about next week. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Let us pray.